In some cases, diabetes can return even after a pancreas transplant. Is there a way to prevent or minimize the return of diabetes after a pancreas transplant? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Diabetes. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. David Sutherland, Professor and Head of the Division of Transplantation and Director of the Diabetes Institute for Immunology and Transplantation in the Department of Surgery at the University of Minnesota. Welcome, Dr. Sutherland. Glad to be here. Today we are discussing pancreatectomies and islet cell autotransplantation. Dr. Sutherland, how good is the diabetic control after a pancreas transplant? Okay, so if we take out someone's pancreas and we replace it with an entirely new pancreas, they get perfect diabetic control. So a pancreas transplant will do the same as a native pancreas as long as it's not rejected. Now, we wouldn't have to do a pancreas transplant if we can actually preserve the islets or beta cells when an individual has a pancreatectomy. Indeed, we can do that when there is benign disease that we're doing the pancreatectomy for. So for patients with chronic pancreatitis and intractable pain or unresponsive to other measures, one of the operations we do is to actually remove the entire pancreas, and that absolutely corrects chronic pancreatitis and does abolish the pain. However, the penalty would be diabetes unless we can give back the islets from the excised pancreas, and that's what we do at the University of Minnesota. So when we see a patient with chronic pancreatitis and tractable pain, we will offer them the option to remove the pancreas, and then we will extract the islets from the excised organ and then inject them back and embolize them to the liver via the portal vein where they will now lodge, set up, get, acquire a new blood supply, and then secrete insulin. Now, it's not a guarantee that that will work as well as a pancreas transplant. It probably won't, but at least they don't have to take anti-rejection drugs. But indeed, sometimes we get enough islets that they are totally insulin independent and totally normal. And indeed, about a third of the patients in whom we extract the islets from their pancreas and give it back to them are insulin independent and we have followed patients for up to uh, 20 years. So a third of them will have long-term insulin independence. And another third, we get enough islets so that at least the ensuing diabetes is relatively mild and they can be euglycemic on once-daily long-acting insulin like Lantus insulin. However, in a third, we do not get enough islets from the diseased pancreas to prevent becoming fully diabetic and now the patients will require exogenous insulin and have to be managed like any other diabetic with frequent glucose monitoring. However, the patients that we do, all of them accept diabetes for relief of pain. In fact, all of them tell us that they would rather be insulin-dependent than narcotic-dependent. So I think it's a very viable option for the individual who has intractable pain and chronic pancreatitis. In these patients who have pancreatic transplants and their diabetes is much easier to control, is their rate of end-organ complications less? Well, we actually don't know for sure. We actually think it is. But the incidence of secondary complications in pancreatic diabetes is less than type 1 diabetes anyway. And so very few of the patients that we've done a transplant on, either a pancreas transplant or an islet transplant on, have developed secondary complications. So indeed, it may be the case. You know, one thing I just want to distinguish between the two, I mean, we, we can talk about a pancreas transplant where you need anti-rejection drugs, or you can talk about giving the islets from their own excised pancreas where you don't need anti-rejection drugs. So there is quite a, 
a difference between those options. One has to be exercised immediately, and the other one, of course, can be added in at any time, even if the autograph fails. You know, as far as preventing diabetes from recurring, one of the tricks is to actually give the insulin even if they wouldn't absolutely need it. So when we do an islet autograph on someone after a pancreatectomy, if their blood sugars aren't absolutely normal, even if they don't need insulin, let's say their fasting runs 120 and two hours after eating they run 180 and you say, hey, that's pretty good, I don't need insulin. Actually, we would give them insulin because it protects the beta cells from being overstressed and then losing function over time from overwork. And so you will prolong the life of those islets by giving insulin. And it's relatively easy to do because now they can just take it like once a day. They might just take like 12 units once a day, not even really bother to check their blood sugars once they've seen that they're stable. And then they will prevent themselves from, from becoming fully diabetic as their counterparts would be who didn't take insulin and said, all oh, those blood sugars are okay, let me just go on the way I am. And there's no autoimmunity involved when it's a pancreatic diabetes. Now, if you're talking about type 1 diabetes, where we do a pancreas transplant, there we have to give immunosuppressive drugs not only to prevent rejection, but to prevent recurrence of disease, autoimmunity itself attacking the beta cells selectively. That is the main way we prevent it is right now by immunosuppressive drugs. But those are totally unnecessary with an eyelid autograph. With an eyelid autograph, you don't need anti-rejection drugs. And if you're doing a pancreas transplant for pancreatic diabetes for not type 1, then you need anti-rejection drugs to prevent rejection, but not to prevent recurrence of disease from autoimmunity because there is none. If you have just joined us, you are listening to a special segment, Focus on Diabetes, on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and we are speaking with Dr. David Sutherland, professor and head of the Division of Transplantation and director of the Diabetes Institute for Immunology and Transplantation in the Department of Surgery at the University of Minnesota. Today we are discussing pancreatectomies and islet autotransplantation to prevent or minimize diabetes. Dr. Sutherland, when you do a pancreas transplant and you have to give medications to prevent rejection, does that affect the beta cells directly? Well, all drugs have side effects on various organs, and the immunosuppressive drugs are no exception. So even when we give anti-rejection drugs to someone that's non-diabetic with a kidney transplant or a liver transplant, we may see diabetes induced even by the drugs. They're called diabetogenic. And we might even see kidney disease induced by the drugs, even we're giving it to prevent a kidney transplant. So yes, one of the drugs we use called Prograf or cyclosporin, or if we use steroids, which we rarely use now, they are diabetogenic. And so they can adversely affect beta cell function. Most patients will tolerate them. So when we do a pancreas transplant, there's enough beta cell mass that we usually don't cause diabetes by the drugs we give. But for an islet transplant, it's actually a real problem because there's less beta cells present when we do an islet transplant. And there we have to be very careful about the doses of the drugs and maybe we can't use the full armamentarium and anti-rejection drugs because of their proneness to cause diabetes, especially with reduced beta cell mass. So ironically, when we give anti-rejection drugs, we're sometimes giving a drug that actually causes the disease we're treating with the transplant. It's just that a normal transplanted organ may withstand the uh, side effects of the drugs better than than the uh, diseased organs of some other individuals. 
and nothing is as diabetogenic as rejection of a pancreas transplant or nothing can cause kidney failure as badly as rejection of a kidney transplant. So we give drugs that are toxic to the same organs that we're giving a drug to prevent rejection to. That's a little bit of a complicated answer, but uh, the bottom line is we don't have perfect drugs for preventing rejection. They have side effects. Generally, after you do a pancreas transplant, how soon does that pancreas transplant start secreting insulin that's viable? Well, with the pancreas transplant, it's actually right away. Do you routinely measure this? Well, we can tell. I mean, when we do a pancreas transplant, then we measure the blood sugars. And if the blood sugars are normal, we don't give insulin. Sometimes it takes a few days, and they are high, and then they gradually, the pancreas kicks in better and better. They may be on insulin for a few days, but in general, they're not. When you do an IVA transplant, most patients are on insulin for about a month before the beta cells get a new blood supply and start working well enough to get the patient off insulin. Now, when do you do this procedure laparoscopically, and when do you do it open? A pancreas transplant is usually done open. Because we have, the organ's large, we have to insert it through the incision. We can't put it through the small port of a laparoscope. When we take out an organ from a donor, though, a living donor, there we can do it with hand-assisted laparoscopy. We can make an incision just big enough to get a hand in, just two and a half inches, snug around the wrist. But for the recipients, almost all the organ transplants that are done are done open and not laparoscopically. Isla transplants, however, are done in a minimally invasive way. There, it's either done laparoscopically or it's even done even simpler by just a, a needle puncture of the liver and threading a catheter into the portal vein and then injecting them. And they, they can be done under fluoroscopy by an interventional radiologist. Well, when do you really choose between a pancreas transplant and an islet cell transplant? Well, if we're taking out someone's own pancreas, then we will always choose to try to transplant back their own islets. If we have someone that has de novo diabetes or has had a pancreatectomy and the only way we can do it is to get an organ or cells from another individual, then those individuals who would fit what are called a investigational protocol for islet transplants, we would advise try the islets because if they work, you save yourself all that surgery. And those are generally patients that don't have advanced complication of other organs, but they do have what's called hypoglycemic awareness or brittle and difficult-to-control diabetes. And they can't have, actually, things like kidney failure or so right now because they're trying to have a rather uncomplicated population for the investigational trials. Now, for individuals who require a lot of insulin, let's say like over 50 units a day, who have kidney failure or for whatever other reason don't meet the islet requirements, then we advise do a pancreas transplant because, one, you, it's non-investigational, you can get it, and, two, it'll work very well. The drawback is surgical complications. They have to be able to accept them. The anti-rejection drugs are about the same, and so you don't escape anti-rejection drugs by doing an islet transplant, but you do escape major surgery. So right now, only a small percentage of type 1 diabetics will meet the eligibility requirements for islet transplants, while most will meet the eligibility requirements for a pancreas transplant. What is the future for pancreas transplant? Well, hopefully it will become obsolete. I hope everything we do becomes obsolete. Medicine is designed to make our procedures of today obsolete. Now, that's an interesting statement, Dr. Sutherland. What do you mean by that? Well, first of all, we should be able to do the islet transplants, minimally invasive. And indeed, our goal is even to abolish islet transplants from humans and eventually just do animal islets and use stem cells. We should be able to invoke stem cells to become new beta cells, even your endogenous stem cells. We should be able to either prevent diabetes in the first place or in those that we don't do the prevention, we should now be able to induce regeneration of beta cells 
and thwart autoimmunity so they're not destroyed and not have to do any surgery at all. That really is the future. I'm sure within this century we won't do pancreas or islet transplants. We will prevent diabetes in most individuals and those in whom we don't prevent. We will treat them, but we will treat them by inducing beta cell regeneration so they don't have to actually have them transplanted. And our procedures of today will be obsolete. I want to thank Dr. David Sutherland, who has been our guest. We have been discussing pancreatectomies followed by islet autotransplantation to prevent or minimize diabetes. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to a special segment, Focus on Diabetes, on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.